strengthen your boast. Strengthen your boast. It's been said that boasting is how we verbalize our confidence. You see, nobody can see in your soul, but they can hear what you say, what you boast in, and therefore what you have confidence in. To boast is to verbalize your confidence. If you think back to Napoleon Dynamite, Uncle Rico had great confidence in his abilities. That's why he wanted Kip to build the time machine so he'd go back to 82 when he could throw that pigskin a quarter mile. If coach would have put him in in the fourth quarter, we'd have won state. I'd have gone pro, been making millions. And maybe you haven't, you haven't seen Napoleon Dynamite, but you, you know all kinds of middle-aged men around the world are thinking back to the glory days when they still had it, and it was the coach's fault for not putting them in in the fourth quarter, and they can boast because they've got confidence in their abilities. Isn't this what we do anytime we think about students getting into a particular university? I made it to Kelly. What's that mean? I have confidence in the credentialing that that degree will give me that it's going to put me on a good trajectory for my life. To boast is to verbalize our confidence. If you were to watch me watch the Colts, think about that, you watch me watch the Colts, you would hear me constantly saying, give the ball to Jonathan Taylor. Now, Granted, that's mainly because he's on my fantasy team, but also because I have great confidence that if you'll just give him the ball, good things will happen for the Colts, right? To boast is to verbalize your confidence. I've got confidence in him. What Paul's gonna say to us here in the final section of Galatians 6 is this, boast only in the cross. Find your confidence only in the cross, and so as Paul kind of puts a wrap on the whole letter that we've been in for several months, he's going to finish in many ways where he started with this overarching central theme that must permeate every single aspect of our lives. Find your confidence only in the cross. And so we're going to see four kinds of boasts here in these last eight verses. We're going to see a final boast and then a weak boast, followed up by a strong boast and an ongoing boast, four boasts. Here's the first one, a final boast. If you've got your Bible open, I hope you do. If you don't have it open, please reopen it and look back at Galatians 6, verse 11. Here's Paul's final boast being introduced. Galatians 6, 11, he writes, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. What large letters? See, what this probably means is that Paul had a scribe that was writing for him, and he was dictating most of the letter to the Galatians. And at the very end, he says, Guys, here's the final words that these people need to hear from me. Give me the pen. Let me write it myself. And because Paul had lived a difficult life, he'd been beaten to the point of death, he was probably physically mangled in some ways. His letters were really big. They were sloppy. They didn't look pretty. But Paul was saying, I'm putting an emphasis here. This matters. Think if you were to write your congressman or congresswoman and you got a letter back and it was probably written by a staffer but with the interests of that representative in mind. And then at the very end, there was a personal note saying, I'm gonna advocate for the cause that you were concerned about because this matters deeply to me. That's a game changer to see that last handwritten part from your representative. Like, whoa, this adds emphasis. This is weightier because of what you just gave me there. 
And what's interesting is that the beginning of Galatians, Galatians 1, and at the end of Galatians, Galatians 6, Paul says much less in terms of personal introduction and greeting than he does in his other letters. He focuses from the outset through the middle and then again at the end on the centrality of grace. So your Bible's open. Why don't you just turn back a couple pages? Let's go back and read the very first verses of Galatians. Galatians 1, and I'll read just the first three verses, but but listen for the, the lack of personal greeting, but at the same time, the emphasis on the gospel of grace. Galatians 1, 1 through 3, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, the power of the gospel he goes to, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul jumps right into it at the beginning, doesn't spend a lot of flowery introductions, boom, the power of the gospel and the resurrection and the grace that flows out of it. And that's how he's going to wrap up as well. Maybe you've heard public speaking courses say something like, you need to tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That's how you craft a public speaking message so people can remember what you had to say, and that's what Paul did. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you grace, and I'm going to tell you about grace, and I'm going to tell you that I told you about grace. Right? He, he starts out chapters one and two. He defines the gospel. And then in the middle, chapters three and four, he defends the gospel. And then here in chapters five and six, he tells us how to live out the gospel. He would say, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Over and over and over. Paul was saying, you can do absolutely nothing to earn a relationship with God or eternity in heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't serve frequently enough. You can't be a heavy enough participant in Giving Tuesday. You can't be baptized. You can't be initiated into the church. You can't do anything to to earn a relationship with God or eternity in heaven. Different way of saying this is to say that the Bible is not primarily about us and what we do for God. No, it's primarily about God and what he's done for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So we've been saying over and over the message of the gospel, very simply stated, and if you're not a Christian, you are here this morning, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Here's the message that God is holy and we are not. And because we're not holy, we can't be with God ever. Our sin separates us from him. But praise God, the story doesn't stop with God being holy and us not being holy. No, God is holy, I am not. But Jesus came and he saves. Amen. Christ becomes our life. This is the final boast that Paul is going to make. But of course, this message isn't exactly popular, even in Christian circles, much less in unchristian circles, because we would love to say that we are participants, that we've contributed to the cause. This is why coming out of Thanksgiving week not so long ago, the Giving Tuesday is so significant. 
organizations that you believe in come to you and say, hey, we're on the right track and we need your help. We need your participation to get us over the top. We want to be part of it. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to live in the gospel, live out of grace. But Paul's saying, the boast I'm making here is that it's not of me. It's all of Christ. And that's really good news for us. Paul's going to go on to show how many religious people will put their confidence in weaker things, in lesser things, in something they bring to the table. And that brings us to our second point, the weak boast. The weak boast. So if you're in Galatians 1, you'll want to turn back over to Galatians 6, and we'll pick up here in verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now, if you're new and joining us, it, it may seem odd for me to read that. We're into Christmas season and we're talking about circumcision again and it feels a bit misplaced. This was a, an issue that was being dealt with in the first century for this audience. But the larger point that's more important for us to see is that these people were focused on external rule keeping. They're focused on external rule keeping. And the reason that they're making a weak boast in the externals that they've observed, the rules that they've kept, is because their boast is based in something they've done. That's what makes it a weak boast by definition. This is what Paul was sort of referencing just a couple weeks ago, Galatians 6, 3. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he is deceived. Right? You think you've got a good thing to put confidence in, and it's, it's actually not very strong at all. So, so what I want to do here is I want to drill down on these two verses and help us to see what's the underlying motivation that leads people to put confidence in something that's weaker, something they do. Because it's easy for us to read that and think, gosh, like you're talking about like circumcision, it just feels weird, I don't, like, who would ever want to have confidence in that? And we know that the Bible was written not just to inform us of historic events, but to transform our lives right now. So I want to drill down on this and see what's the underlying motivation that can appeal to all of us today and can lead us into weak boasting, just like the Galatians were. Let's look back here at verse 12, and you're going to see this ultimate motivation is to make a good showing. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Underline that phrase. Make a good showing in the flesh. That's the motivation. I want to look good. When you look at it that way, and you actually see what's just right there on the pages of Scripture, it's pretty obvious. And I can say, man, I, well, I want to look good. I want to make a good showing. I've never met a person who walks and says, man, I hope I make a bad showing here. I hope these people think I'm an absolute fool. That's none of us, right? It's not bad to want to make a good showing, but there's a dangerous subcurrent there. If we keep going, Paul will give us a couple more underlying motivators. So keep reading in verse 12. Make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only, here it comes, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So there's an underlying motivation that I don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
That last phrase is really important for the cross of Christ because there are people all over the place that are more than happy to be persecuted for something their tribe prioritizes. There's all kinds of ways you can make yourself into a martyr. But in a world that is increasingly hostile to Christianity, it's important that we be very clear here. Pick your battles carefully. If you're going to be persecuted, make it for clearly proclaiming the cross of Christ. And if persecution awaits, don't waste your persecution on something that has no power to save your hearers. You've got to see the whole of what Paul's saying there. There was an underlying motivation that people didn't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so they focused on things they could do instead of on what God had done for them. There's a second underlying motivation. This one is later, actually. It's the very last phrase of verse 13. So just scan down a little bit. It says, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Or stated slightly differently, that they would gain others' approval. They would gain somebody else's approval. For us today, there's all sorts of things we put our confidence in in order to gain someone else's approval. We might have confidence in our tolerance or our open-mindedness, things that I bring to the table. But eventually, we're going to find somebody that we can't tolerate. And then we're in trouble because we haven't met our own standard. Or you might have confidence in your own morality or your work ethic. If all else fails, I know how to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get after it and double down and work harder. But eventually, you'll find somebody that works harder than you, someone who's a little more moral than you. You're going to find a time where you freak out and fly off the handle, and then you won't live up to your own standard, and you're back in trouble again because you realize that you put your confidence in something that is weak, namely, yourself. The funny thing about this is you start to drill down, and you realize putting confidence in anything in this world is not really a good idea, but you don't really need to be a Christian to know that either. Luke Combs, in his famous country song, kind of brought this out for us, that basically anything will let you down. He said, I've had largemouth bass bust my line, couple beautiful girls tell me goodbye. Trucks break down, dogs run off, politicians lie, I've been fired by the boss. Everything lets you down. And if you know the song, he goes on to say that beer is the only thing that's never let him down. Like, well... Okay, Luke, you missed the mark there. Maybe we should take that a different direction. But the point is, we know that the stuff of this life lets us down. It's not strong enough to put our confidence in. And there's plenty of other things that we want to put that confidence in, right? Don't we explicitly boast about our kids, put our confidence in them? And then someday they don't really like being around you anymore. They won't talk to you. Maybe they don't like Jesus anymore. And if that was the grounding of your confidence, what you boasted in, you're going to be, you're going to be on a weak foundation. Maybe it's more implicitly a confidence that we find in our dream job. If I could just get there. And then the dream job turns out to be not so dreamy. In fact, maybe it's feeling cursed. I heard somebody say just yesterday, they said, you can't really be depressed in life until your dreams come true. Because you put your confidence in it, 
and it can't hold you up. It's a weak boast. And we get so focused on these external things, and just like the Galatians, we use Christianity to make a good showing. And a focus on making a good showing leads us to obsess over the externals. We know we don't keep the rules, but we want everyone to think that we do. Did you hear that in what Paul said there? He said, even these people that are holding this over you, they don't keep the law, but they're trying to drive your approval, to gain your approval. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we wouldn't, of course, verbalize it this way, but in our heart of hearts, deep down in our soul, we embrace a good showing Christianity, which is to say a graceless Christianity because it's based on me, where I want others to think I've got it together, that I look the part, that I am the part, and slowly but steadily, if I can get enough people to believe that, then maybe even I can believe that I'm good enough to. It's slow, it's insidious, it's subtle, but it's there in all of us. It actually comes back to a very simple root problem of pride where I want to look good. So then how do we break it down? Okay, good, decent diagnosis. I can start to see this in my life. But what do we do about it? Dane Ortland has, has helped me and I think will help us here. Look at what he had to say about this. Dane writes, pride hinders fellowship both horizontally, that being with other humans, and vertically with God. Evading honesty before another Christian is more fundamentally a rejection of the gospel itself. Refusing to be honest with another is works righteousness in disguise. We are believing that we need to save face to retain uprightness of appearance. See how that works? There's a forgiveness that is available to you in Jesus. And by confessing my weakness, the things I place my confidence in that I ought not to another brother, to another sister, it breaks down the pride in me because I'm brought face to face and I'm verbalizing, I'm struggling, I need grace here. This is what the Judaizers here in the book of Galatians were not doing. They were content and even urgently working to maintain appearances. Don't do that. Don't settle for a good showing Christianity, a graceless Christianity, because it is no Christianity at all. We don't want a weak boast. No, that brings to our third point. We need a strong boast, something that is strong to place our confidence in. Strong boast there in verse 14. Look at your copy of the scriptures again. Paul writes, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What's Paul say? He doesn't merely say, I won't boast. No, he makes it much stronger than that. He says, far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. 
Not just, I'm gonna try to avoid boasting in myself, finding confidence in myself. Far be it from you, I'm gonna put it as far away as possible because I know how weak I am. And if Paul, the greatest church planner, author of half the New Testament, is sensing his weakness, how much more so should I and how much more so should you? But you talk about boasting in the cross of Christ, and sometimes to me, that feels a little bit like a preacher point. You know what a preacher point is? It's a preacher point that you say, boast in the cross, and everybody says, amen. But they don't exactly know what it means. What does it mean exactly to boast in the cross of Christ? I think it might be helpful to think about the cross more specifically, and then we could talk about what that is to boast in it. Yes, the cross was a tool of execution in the first century, but it was a lot more than that. It wasn't merely designed to execute people. No, it was designed to inflict maximum pain, maximum humiliation, and show maximum weakness in that person. That's why it was public, it was outside the city, it was up on a hill so that everybody would see. So when you hear someone say, take up your cross and follow Jesus, I'll often hear people say things like, well, it means take up your electric chair or take up your lethal injection needle. And in the sense of that being like a tool of execution, yes, that's technically true, but it's missing the major point of execution to demonstrate humiliation and weakness. That's what the cross did. So to boast in the cross means to boast in my weakness, to find confidence in my weakness and my humiliation, which sounds terrible, right? That does sound terrible if we're honest with ourselves, but this is exactly what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 12. Listen to what Paul said. My grace is sufficient to you is what God said to him. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. The New Living Translation is helpful in this when it says, God's power works best in weakness. That's what it means to boast in the cross. So friend, let me just ask you this. Do you make it a habit of confessing your weakness and the power of God's grace? Paul says that's the key to the Christian life. I boast in my weakness. I boast in my humiliation. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. You want the power of Christ on your life? You want the power of Christ to be in you as you fight sin? As you go to evangelize? As you seek humility? As you seek to be generous? Boast in your weakness. And more than that, don't only confess it to God, your weakness, your humiliation, but confess it to others, brothers and sisters. This is what the church is. The church is not an in-person podcast. It's a family where we come together, we lock arms, we go out on mission together, we serve together, we give together, we confess sins to one another so that together we find healing, James 5. Listen to how Dane Ortland would say this. Dane writes, 
You are restricting your growth if you do not move through life doing the painful, humiliating, liberating work of cheerfully bringing your failures out from the darkness of secrecy into the light of acknowledgement before a Christian brother or sister. It is scary to go there with another brother or sister. But surgery is scary too. Yet is it not worth going through with it, given the healing and restoration and life and health awaiting us on the other side? I get how hard it is, how scary it is to think about sitting down across from a brother or sister and saying, let me tell you the worst thing I did this week. Let me tell you the worst thing I thought this week. As I say that, I am certain there are some of you with thoughts going through your mind that absolutely terrify you. And yet, it's through the confession of sin to God and to others that we find healing, that by boasting in the cross, in our weakness, our humiliation, that the power of God may rest upon us. Paul says, verse 14 then, that this is how we become crucified to the world and how we move forward as a Christian. It means the world no longer controls me with my desires to look good, to gain your approval. Because I want you to see that God's grace is better than anyone else's approval. So to be crucified to the world mean, then it means that it doesn't control me anymore. And you see, you can run to the world for joy, and it controls you with a magnetic pull. It becomes like Gollum's precious. You run to it for career advancement, and it controls your evangelistic efforts, because if you were to speak up for Christ, it might stymie that next promotion. You can run to the world for joy because the pursuit of weekend joys controls your schedule more than your commitment to the local church. You can run to the world for joy and it controls you because although you may know many unbelievers, you've got great relationships with people who don't know Christ, you've never invited any of them to read the Bible with you because you need their approval and their relationship more than anything else the world still controls you. But here's the thing. You don't only have to run to the world for it to control you. The world can control you and force you to run from it. Maybe you've not thought about it that way before. But you can think maybe that God's happy with you because you're staying away from sinful people and sinful places. And the world controls you by forcing you into a tightly insulated bubble of your Christendom. In that case, the world is still the thing that's controlling you because you can't get out of the bubble. It's forcing you there. As if God's grace isn't strong enough to send you into the world with a message of redemption that can actually save the world. Say it this way. You can become so focused on avoiding the world that you avoid the world. And you can do this in any number of ways. You can do this through homeschooling, private Christian schooling, or public schooling. You can use any schooling mechanism to avoid the world because I'm gonna be in this sphere, but I'm not going to actually engage with the lost and the hurting. 
You can avoid it through your Christian bubble within youth soccer, the taco club, the breakfast club, the bingo club. But guys, if God didn't want you in the world, don't you think he could just zap you out? Like, it's not an accident that we're left here. You want to know one thing you can't do in heaven? You can't tell people about Jesus who've never heard about him before. Maybe that's why you're here. And so we can run to the world for joy, and it controls us in that way, that it's got something that I have to have. But I can fail to be crucified to the world, and it can control me by forcing me back into retreat, into my Christian bubble. So if there's two ditches that I've explained here, one is to run to the world, one is to run away from it, that's the two errors, what's the middle ground, Justin? What's the actual road I'm supposed to be on? How can I be free to enjoy the good of the world without being mastered by it? Well, let's take Queen Esther for an example. Did Queen Esther give up the pursuit of a prestigious career? No, she was the queen of Persia. And yet, when there was opportunity to proclaim the gospel, she said, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to speak out here because I believe that God has placed me in this role at this time for such a time as this. She cared more about what God thought of her than what man thought of her. Or, or think of Paul. He became all things to all men so that by all means he might save some. Right, Paul could hang out with the most religious dudes and challenge them and the most irreligious dudes. So you might find him at a heretical church because it meant an opportunity to tell his friend about Jesus. And in the afternoon, you might find him at the local bar because it meant he had an opportunity to tell his friend about Jesus. Paul was so extreme, you might even see him tailgating at a soccer game. That's funny. It's not good to go tailgating at soccer games. They like ties. We don't like ties. You win or you lose. But Paul said, I would go wherever I had to go to tell somebody about Jesus. Maybe that should be more of our model. What Paul understood then is that externals didn't define him, but a new heart did. This is what he meant in verse 15 when he says, therefore, circumcision doesn't count for anything. Uncircumcision doesn't count for anything. It's not the external, but a new creation. It's the new heart that I've been given. That means I'm no longer defined by my tolerance and open-mindedness, nor am I defined by my work ethic and my integrity. I'm not defined by my engagement with the world, nor in my running from the world. No, I'm defined by Christ, by his grace in my life. You see, these are ends up being two sides of the same coin, the conservative, the liberal, the running to, running from. It's a works righteousness that can be underneath it. And it always leaves you empty because that ends up being a weak confidence. Here's how John MacArthur would say it. He says, it's as if on the market shelf of world religions, there are hundreds of attractive packages with a great range of shapes, sizes, labels, claims and prices. But inside all of them is the same tasteless, nutritionless sawdust of works righteousness. Standing alone, unattractive and repulsive to the natural man is the gospel, which alone contains real food. And what's the real food? Look at verse 16 of Galatians 6. 
And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Peace and mercy. That's the fruit of finding your deepest identity in Jesus Christ and the grace that he provides. And I'll be the first to tell you guys, it is so easy for me and I think many of us to lean into twisted versions of peace and mercy that put me at the center again. Do you know how we're gonna find peace here? We'll find peace when you finally agree that I'm right. That's when we'll have peace. And until then, I'll have mercy on you until you see that I'm right. <laughs> we laugh, but uh, isn't that pretty true of where we're at? That's not peace, that's not mercy. You see, a lack of mercy can show itself. A lack of peace can show itself when we thunder down anger towards others or when we thunder down judgment and condemnation of ourselves, because it puts our pride at the center, an unwillingness to extend mercy, or an unwillingness to receive mercy. It's us both the same. One thing I found in this is when you suffer or when you're wrongly judged, remember that. Remember that feeling. Remember what you go through there. Because in our suffering and when we're wrongly judged, it is God giving us a divine capacity for merciful peacekeeping. Because in that moment, he said, oh, if you would just show me a little mercy here, you're judging me so wrong. If I could just have a little peace in my life, things are so crazy right now. Remember when God allows those circumstances into your life, it's him giving you a divine capacity for merciful peacekeeping if you'll cling to his grace. But Paul says this isn't just for you. He says it's for the Christians around you too. That not only do you become a peace-loving, merciful person, but the whole body becomes peace-loving and merciful. This is what he meant going back, Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 6.1, bear one another's burdens because Christ bore our burdens. Romans 12.9, let love be genuine. Outdo one another in showing honor. Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. To believe the gospel does make you individually a peaceful and merciful person, but it also makes us corporately into a new people. We've used that language of gospel doctrine must create a gospel culture. It must create a compelling community that loves to be hospitable. A city on the hill where people look and say, I want to be like that group. How is there radical love to all? They go chasing others down when they don't see them for a couple weeks. It's because you've stopped being so concerned with appearances and gaining others' approval, and you are liberated to show that love to others. This is the strong confidence, the strong boast we're called into, the grace of God that flows into us and through us out to others. And Paul will wrap it up here with our fourth point, an ongoing boast. Verses 17 and 18. Look back at your copy of the scriptures. We'll be briefer here than any of the other points. Paul writes, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You see, guys, Paul's confidence in the gospel, his boast in the gospel, it had cost him. He'd been beaten to the point of death. He says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. So he says, let nobody cause me trouble. Because Christians can get really busy squabbling over second-tier issues. Paul's saying, don't cause me trouble. I've got the gospel to proclaim and a world to reach. So let's slay aside the infighting and get on mission together. Because the grace that I need, the grace that Justin needs, there's millions of people that need that exact same grace. There are billions with a B of people that need that grace. So let's get busy telling them. And then Paul gives a final closing word, verse 18. He says, may God's grace be with your spirit. See, the reality is for some of you, and I don't know who, but for some of you, life is going to get exceedingly difficult. Perhaps a bit like Paul did. Maybe, maybe you're gonna go out, and I don't know, I don't even wanna speculate as to what might happen, but it could be really difficult Paul's good. you need the grace that you've received to carry you. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home, is what the old hymn would say. But there are others of you that are in similar danger, not from a difficult life and things falling apart, but life might stay mundane for you. And you can drift through a comfortable life in the suburbs looking for a spouse, having kids, getting them raised, hopefully getting them married off to somebody that you like, relatively peaceful Thanksgivings. If not, ship them off for Christmas. And you just kind of float through without clinging to grace above anything else. And so the ongoing boast, the ongoing confidence you need is say, God, rescue me from a safe, comfortable, mediocre life where I don't really do anything of significance except I keep things smooth. You need grace to break you out of that because the same grace that sent Jesus sends you. And the reason this is difficult for us is because boasting in the cross, boasting in my weakness, boasting in my humiliation is one of the most unnatural things I could ever do. We all find confidence in ourselves, in the things we do or the things we don't, the things we've accomplished or we lack confidence because of the things we haven't accomplished. Your boast must only be in the cross of Christ. So we're about to wrap up Galatians here. That's our last sermon in it. And we're also going to go to communion in a minute. And the message of Galatians has been really simple. At points, dense argumentation, but simple. Delight in the gospel. Cling to grace. So as we prepare to, to wrap this up and to go to communion, can I just give you two really simple questions to ponder? We're going to have a period of silence and then if you're a Christian, you can take communion as you remember Christ. And if you're not a Christian, this is a great time to ask Jesus to save you from your sins, to cling to him above all else. But I want to give you two questions to think about. Here's the first one. 
where am I placing any confidence except the cross of Christ? Is it in joy from the world? Are you confident in your insulation from the world? Are you placing confidence in looking good before others? Something else? Ponder that question. Ask the Lord to show you, where am I finding confidence in anything besides the cross of Christ? Here's the second question. What does repentance look like for you? And don't hear the word of God. Sit there and think, good sermon, pastor, thanks. Let's carry on with our life. Repentance is merely, I'm going one direction, I'm gonna turn, and I'm gonna go the other direction. What does repentance look like in your life? Is it inviting a neighbor over for dinner? Is it inviting a coworker to read the Bible with you over lunch? To not be so concerned with their approval. Do you need to call up somebody in your Sunday school class this afternoon? Say, hey, can we get together? Maybe, maybe we'll grab, grab a milkshake after the prayer meeting tonight. I need to confess some sin to you. Because I know there's freedom, there's liberty, there's healing when I don't care so much about what you think of me, but I cling to the cross of Christ above anything else. Where's your confidence? What's repentance look like? Boast only in the cross. Let's pray.